If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go with me this morning to the Bible's hymn book, which is Psalms, the book of Psalms 127. And as I said, this morning is a special day. It is both Father's Day and also a day that we are going to celebrate family as the Andersons and Chrissy and John and the Stapletons and Ryan and Aaron are going to stand before us this morning, and they want to dedicate truly themselves and their children to the Lord. And so this is a baby dedication sermon as much as it is a Father's Day sermon, but I pray we can bring it all together. And basically my title is Being a Dedicated Dad for a Dedicated Family. Now, I did some research this past week, and I found some different things. I don't know if you will relate to this or not, but uh, David, do we have some of those pictures? Can I just show that first one? This one here says, Happy Father's Day, and this one really stuck out to me. At four years old, my dad can do anything. Dad has the Superman t-shirt, but at seven years old, my dad knows a lot, a whole lot. By the time you're eight, well, my dad doesn't maybe quite know everything. By the time you're 12, well, naturally, dad doesn't know that either. At 14, oh, dad is hopelessly old-fashioned. 21, oh, that man, he's out of date, especially how my 21-year-old feels about me right now. Um, 25, he knows a little bit about it, but not much. 30, I must find out what dad thinks. 35, before we decide, we will get dad's idea first. At 50, what would dad have thought about this? 60, my dad knew literally everything. And 65, I wish I could talk it over with dad once more. And wherever you're at, you can probably relate to something on that plane. But then you're also maybe seeing some like this. This one was one that stood out to me. Happy Father's Day to someone who inexplicably loves signing his name to each of his text messages. And that one really relates to me because my dad sends me a text and it says, Dad, and he'll say, Son, I'm going to be here, Dad. And I text him back every time and go, I'm glad you told me you were dad. I didn't want to make sure, I wanted to make sure I wasn't loving somebody else that wasn't my dad. Now, the tragedy though is that in our society, many other people may think this one, or sorry, not this one, how babies sleep with parents, with mom and then with dad. That one I have lived. I have lived that for all three of my children. They are angels in bed for my wife, and they kick the snot out of me in bed. All right? And then now the tragic one that I saw, if you'll notice this, it says, don't get too close. He hasn't had his coffee yet. But isn't this indicative of our culture? See the endangered species, a live-in biological father. Isn't that indicative of our culture? where dad is almost on the endangered species list. I think that's a tragedy. And that is not what we want to celebrate today. We want to celebrate dad and families. So if you have your Bible, I want you to be at Psalm 127. As I said, today's a special day. It's a special day for every dad that's here, and I want it to be. I want it to be special for everyone here, and especially for John and Ryan as dads. They are here in marriage covenant with their wives, Chrissy and Aaron, and on this day, June the 19th of 2016, they want to publicly declare their intentions. And here they are. These two couples are going to be examples for us on this Father's Day to say we want to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so for Chrissy and Aaron, and for all of the family and friends of the Andersons and the Stapletons, welcome and I pray that this sermon will be an encouragement and a challenge, not only to you, but to all of us. 
Because this is a special day for us as a church here at Calvary Baptist Church. We get to once again witness and pledge that we will pray for and support, that we will help and stand by these couples in pointing Elijah and Maeve along with Liam and Caleb to Jesus. In fact, I have learned something. I've been a pastor now for about 20 years. And it's funny because churches often get dinged for a few things where I've gotten random phone calls about three or four things. Funerals, marriages, baby dedications, and counseling. And I can get random phone calls from just about anybody about those four things. But I have learned in my over 20 years of pastoring that baby dedication should be and always should be done and has its most important glorification and display when it's done and made in the local church. Churches where people are a part of them. Because on this special day, we honor God. And God who accepts our worship. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but God is pleased with the church and with its families that submits to what he has set out as the way to glorify him. And so today, I will particularly address John and Chrissy and Ryan and Aaron, but I want us all to look at Psalm 127, and I want us all to learn what it means to build a family God's way. On this Father's Day, I also say that this is an opportunity for every dad that's here, every one of you, to be reminded of God's will. And for all of you, no matter how old you are or what gender you are, Psalm 127 is a passage that calls everyone here today, and it can be and should be applied in many areas of our lives. But I do say it's a golden opportunity to see how each and every one of us has a role to play in the role and in the office of the family. So for just a few minutes before we come to our baby dedication, would you all give God, not me, give God your undivided attention. Before we even consider these verses, I want to put the whole sermon into a sentence. I, I believe that you will remember music and you will remember phrases far better for me than the eloquence of my speech. So here's the entire sermon in a sentence that you can take with you. And it's very profound. I spent a long time working on this. I want you to be really impressed with my giftedness, my creativity, and my intelligence. Are you ready? Here it is. If God doesn't bless, it will be a mess. I mean, really. I'm disappointed in your reaction. But you know what? This is really true. If God doesn't bless, it will be a mess. I could, I could make the benediction now and we could all be done. I'm not going to do that, but we could. So let's look at Psalm 127 and see how God bears this out. If God doesn't bless, it will be a mess. And that's one thing I want Ryan and Aaron to think about. It's one thing I want John and Chrissy to think about. This is a song of ascent. Notice the author is Solomon. The author of this psalm is Solomon, and here's what he says, and this was a song of ascent, and it says in verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, Solomon says, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior 
are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Now, as I've said to you, this is a psalm. Psalm 127 was written by Solomon. It is called one of those uh, songs of ascent. In fact, if you really read Psalm 127, if you ever get the chance, go read the book of, are you ready for this handle? Ecclesiastes. That's another book written by Solomon. And you will find that many parts of this psalm sound very much like this. Commentators believe that this psalm, Psalm 127, were sung to parents by the Jewish community. That the Jewish community would sing this to parents. And really when you think about it, and you really study the subject matter, it kind of makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because faith, trusting in something, believing in something, must always be lived out at home. It really is. The the strength of what your children think of you is more determined by how you are in home than how you are out in the open. And when faith and family are linked together, I believe a powerful force is set loose. So I want to ask you, what do you notice first in this psalm? Now, at this baby dedication, I want to hammer home three points. They were three points that I made at our last baby dedication when the Mannings dedicated their little baby and the Hancocks dedicated their two sons. I last gave them three points, and today I want to elaborate on them from Psalm 127. Number one is this. Don't overestimate your parenting skills. So for Ryan and Aaron and for John and Chrissy, I want you to remember, and all parents, don't overestimate your parenting skills. Number two, don't overwork at parenting. Don't overwork at parenting. So don't overestimate your parenting. Don't overwork at parenting. And then finally, number three, don't overlook your children. Don't overlook your children. So I want you to look at verse one, and you'll notice our number one point, don't overestimate your parenting skills. Verse one says, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, you'll notice there is work and there is watch and there is care. They all must be provided as parents and for any of you that are grandparents. But remember, it's the Lord that ultimately does the building and protecting. You and I may work at it, we may watch at it, we may care for it, but ultimately it's the Lord that does the building and the protecting. And I love history. One of the things I've really gotten into of late is church history and history in general. Brother Eugene just gave me a book. I've moved back to the city of St. John's. I'm a native Newfoundlander, but I haven't lived here in over a decade and a half. And I have to be honest, in growing up in Newfoundland, I love this province, but I don't know a lot about my city or my province. And so Eugene, this just past week, gave me a book titled Death on the Ice that uh, many of you are shaking your head. So I I just started tearing into that because I want to learn the history of my city and my province. I want to know how it ticks and how it came to be. And so I want you to realize, back in the day, Benjamin Franklin quoted Psalm 127.1 in a challenge to the Continental Congress. Here's what he said. Do we imagine that we no longer need God's assistance? The longer I live, he said, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. Without his concurring aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. That's a profound statement that someone read several hundred years ago. 
And it does remind me of the picture you see in Genesis chapter 11, which is the account of the Tower of Babel, when all the people of the world got together and they said, we will build a tower that will reach to the heavens. And basically what their motive was is we will be like God. And as they made great progress, when God saw what was happening, in Genesis eleven nine, 9, it says, He scattered them over the face of the earth. And simply by confusing them with languages, He brought a full halt to all of this supposed power of mankind. And why did He do it? Because they were building without God's blessing. They were trying to accomplish things without God's blessing. And whenever you and I do that, whenever these couples do that, whenever dads do this, whenever moms do this, whenever single people do this, whenever anybody does this, our work is in vain. Now in the Hebrew, that word vain means, pretty simple, worthless or empty. Worthless or empty. The phrase says, unless the Lord. It's repeated twice in the first two verses, along with the word vain. And vain is hammered three times. It's supposed to make this point as my sermon in the sentence. If the Lord doesn't bless, it will be a mess. I feel like you should say that, like this is an infomercial or something like that. Um, But the reason God hits this so hard is because, let's be honest, we all have a tendency to think we can handle it. How many times have you been asked, how are you doing? fine, and you know you're not. How many times have your teenage sons or daughters said to you, mom and dad, I got this, I can handle this. You ask them about their homework, you ask them about that research paper, you ask them about exam, I got this, mom, I got this, I got this. I, I, I remember asking my oldest son, son, if you had, every time you told me you got something, you'd be well equipped for life. But he grossly overestimated what he had he got, all right? The reason God does this is because this works in two directions. When we think things are going well, we think we did it. And when things with our kids maybe head south, we think it's totally our fault. And so we get incredibly self-centered. There was an article in a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago in Christianity Today called The Myth of the Perfect Parent. In it, the author has some absolutely amazing observations. I really want to share this with you. She writes, More than any other generation... Today's parents are worried sick that they will mess up their children's lives. We must assume then, she says, that there is a serious error in our beliefs about parenting. We have made far too much of ourselves and far too little of God, reflecting our sinful bent to see ourselves as more essential and in control than we really are. The reflex is to judge ourselves by our children and to judge others by their children. Now, every one of you has seen that, maybe even experienced it. The author goes on to write this. The question we must ask ourselves, and we must reframe it like this. We need to quit asking, am I parenting successfully? And we most certainly need to quit asking, are others parenting successfully? Instead, we need to ask, am I parenting faithfully? Faithfulness, after all, is God's highest requirement for us. It is likely that we are asking the wrong questions as parents. And I want to make sure that John and Chrissy and that Aaron and Ryan especially and all of you don't do this. We are so focused on ourselves, on our own need for success and the success of our children that we have come to to view parenting as a performance test. This is one of the big sources of 
of anxiety and depression in our modern culture today. Now, the author of this article doesn't quote Psalm 127.1, but you can hear echoes of it in her conclusion. Here's what she writes. We need to learn that we are not sovereign over our children, only God is. And I will tell you, the greatest lesson that God has taught me and my wife with our three children is to truly give them to God. It is absolutely freeing. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. It means we don't overestimate our parenting. You see, children are not tomatoes to stake out or mules to train, nor are they numbers to plug into an equation. Every child is uh, like everybody else. They are full human beings, wondrously and fearfully made, like Psalm 139 says. And parenting, like all other tasks under the sun, is intended as an endeavor of love and risk, perseverance, and above all, faith. It is faith rather than formula, grace rather than guarantees, steadfastness rather than success that bridges the gap between our own parenting efforts and what, by God's grace, our children grow up to become. And if you've ever experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So all of us as parents that are here this morning must acknowledge this, what these Jewish parents are reminded of as they go to Jerusalem. God is in control and He blesses, ready for this, obedience, and trust more than anything. It's not your creativity. It's not how hard you work at it. It's not how much you think you can control things. Because the one thing I have learned, the one thing has taught me more about the sovereignty of God is trying to parent two teenage boys. Yes, it's okay to laugh because there's times it's the only thing that gets me through a day is being able to laugh. Again, I've said this to before. I think it was um, Mark Twain that said, being a parent, when, when, when your kids become teenagers, put them in a barrel and seal it with only a hole in it. And then when they become 21, seal the hole. I, I, there, there's times I, I feel like that. One of the Calvin and Hobbes comics that Debbie and I love so much is, is, is they're talking and she says, being a parent is wanting to hug and strangle your child simultaneously. And I have felt these things. And so you don't want to overestimate your parenting skills. But secondly, for our couples that are here and for all parents, number two, don't overwork at parenting. Don't overwork at your parenting. Notice our passage again says, it is vain, it is empty to get up early. Now, I don't know about you, but teenagers, when I preached this and I was talking to my son about this and I said, it is vain or empty to get up early, he was like, amen to that, dad, it's vain to get up early. So knock off getting me out of bed early, right? Like he feels now he's got a verse for it. Um, and it doesn't make much sense either now to stay up late. He wasn't big into that. Uh, worrying either. Now, the truth is, I've done some of both in my parenting journey. Now, I want to be quick to clarify that Proverbs, also written by Solomon, has a lot to say about not being a sluggard or lazy and the importance of working hard. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul would say this, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So the question being asked and answered in Psalm 127 is not as parents if we should work. The point is, is that you shouldn't overwork. Don't overestimate your parenting skills and don't overwork at your parenting skills. See, another way to view this is why we shouldn't work, overwork in our work is that according to one man, he says this, it violates a basic spiritual principle. God gives to those who have learned to rest in Him, not to those who strive in their own strength. I will tell you, I've learned this about my own dad on this Father's Day. 
I wrote out a little thing on Facebook in, in honor of my dad and my father-in-law, but so often I would work very hard at stuff trying to prove that I was self-sufficient, trying to prove that I could handle it, trying to prove that I could make it when I, all I had to do was go and ask dad for help and life would have been so much easier for me. And I labored in vain because eventually after all that sweat and tears, after all that effort, I still ended up having to go to dad saying, dad, can you help me? And he did. And he did. So I don't want you to overestimate your working, your parenting skills, but don't overwork at your parenting as well. One translation says, he gives to his beloved even in his sleep, as our passage says. God's blessing don't come by our self-effort. They are a product of his grace. Folks, listen, if I could get one thing across to everybody that claims to be a Christian, it's this, don't work harder at being a Christian. Believe better as a Christian. Trust more in Christ. Trust in who he is and what he has done and what he promises to do and how he will be with you and will never leave you. And respond to that. And that will do more to change your life than any list of do's and don'ts. And so one thing I do want to say, especially to all the dads here, again in church history, the great pioneer missionary, a guy by the name of David Livingston, he once wrote this to a friend. He was buried in Africa, gave his whole life to Africa. He was buried there, and listen to what he writes to a friend. He said, I hope you're playing with your children. In looking back, he says, I have one regret, and that is that I did not feel it my duty to play with my children as much as to teach the natives. I worked very hard at that and was tired out at night and now I have none to play with. So my good friend, play while you may. Dads, on this Father's Day, make sure you play with your kids. Catch a ball with them. Roughhouse with them. Let them know that you're still stronger than them. And then when you figure out you're not, still pretend like you are. That's my gimmick right now. And so to John and Ryan and to every dad here, I want you to listen to these words. I want us all as dads. And why should we do this? Why should we play with our kids? Because often I have found when I've been playing with my kids, it's when I have some of the best conversations with my kids. It's when they feel the least afraid to ask me honest questions. And as dads, we model God to our children. We tend to give our children a picture or a vantage point of God. And the message we need to be telling and modeling is this. God is never too tired for you. If I could get every Christian to realize that, God is never too tired for you. You will never cry out to God and get a busy signal. You will never cry out to God and hear Him say, I just need a bit of rest and then you come to me. God loves us so much, church, that He sent His Son to die for our sin, yours and mine. The Bible is the true story of God's love for a people who don't deserve it to save them and love them for eternity. And even though we are sinners, and every one of us, I have really never met the human being that doesn't admit that they're sinners, that we've done stuff wrong. All of you agree with me that mom and dads should sacrifice for their kids, be there for their kids, to love them and nurture them no matter what, whether they are clean or dirty, being good or being bad, we are to be their parents. And because that is a model of God for us. 
One of the things, one of the favorite things I remember my dad saying, especially times that I had to go to the hospital or times that I was really sick, one of the things that my dad used to do was he would take my hand and he would hold my hand and he would flip it over and he'd look at it and he'd just rub his thumb in the middle of my hand and for whatever reason, that would calm me down. And when I would look into the eyes of my father, he'd say, Stephen, listen, no matter what, no matter what you are or what you become or where you go, you'll always be my son. If every Christian could know no matter what we do or where we go, how we succeed or how we fail, we are the child of God. And if you would respond to that, your life would be way different than trying to earn God's favor. So many people in this world are trying to earn God's favor instead of just enjoying his love and mercy and grace. This is exactly what God has done for us. That's why our passage says it's vain to think that we can work harder and attain to it. I could never attain salvation in and of myself because I'm a sinner. I could never be good enough. How can anyone, the best sinner in the world, how can you still walk up to perfection and say I'm worthy? So it doesn't matter whether you're the worst sinner or the best sinner. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. That's why my daughter could never attain enough money to pay all the bills for her family, especially at 14. She trusts her dad to do that. Abby doesn't lay in bed and go, I wonder if dad will have food for me tomorrow. She just trusts me to do it. Will you and I trust our Savior as that? With our children, this is what we're called to do. And finally, look at the last three verses of 127. Ryan and Aaron and John and Chrissy, don't overlook your children. Notice this in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage where? From the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Sons and daughters build up a household as much as stones and timber build a building. Rabbi Leo Trepp says this, Each child brings a blessing all his or her own, our ancestors would say. We rejoice in children because we are a people, a historical people. And that's what we really need to be as a church. And so for Chrissy and Aaron, let me talk to you guys as moms, and indeed every mom that's here and every woman that wants to be a mom. You are called of God and you will need to love your children and discipline them working with these two issues hand in hand. You notice Solomon shifts from building a house to the people in that house. He reminds parents that it's a privilege, a stewardship to have children. And so for our ladies, I want you to realize that when, uh, uh, well, actually, this is a funny story. And I love Charles Spurgeon. I love my history. Because this woman comes to him, uh, to Charles Spurgeon, it is said, and she says, Reverend, I really feel God is calling me to the ministry. Spurgeon asked her, are you married? And she replied, yes, I am. He asked her then, do you have any children? She yes, she replied, I have 13 kids. And in his witty and wise style, he remarked, well, praise God. Not only has he called you into the ministry, he's already given you a congregation. <laughs> and I say that while it's funny, because again, I want to drive home a point. For Chrissy and Aaron and all the moms here, you have a ministry that is absolutely invaluable. Every mom here today, please listen to me. Don't let our culture demean motherhood or womanhood. You are not less because you are a mom or a woman. 
We are joint heirs with Christ, created in the image of God. And for John and Ryan and for every dad, you need to remember that your children are more God's than yours. Your children are a gift from God. That's what heritage means. But you are stewards of that gift. God expects you every day, every day to care for and lead and guide and love and direct and prepare your children all for the full glory of God. Again, my history I love. Sam Rayburn's father, he died and someone came to him and said, it's too bad that his dad hadn't left him much of an inheritance. Sam instantly reproved the man saying this of his father, that he had left him an unrivaled inheritance, an untarnished name. Solomon said in Proverbs, a good name is rather to be chosen than silver or gold. Dads, we need to step up to the plate and be counted as men of integrity. God's word has established the requirement of male accountability in the home. And children need fathers who consider familiarity with God superior to how they can fix things or glue together a dollhouse. They need dads who freely talk to their children about God and who talk to God about their children. Dads who zealously strive for the Christ-likeness that assures the willing trust of all family members to their leadership. God wisely provided complementary roles for moms and dads. That's why in 127.3 it says where children come from. They come from the Lord. And verse 4 tells us where they're going. They're to be launched out for the Lord's purposes. It says they're arrows. And in the Bible, they arrows were made of sticks and they had to be straightened and sharpened. And it, and it took a lot of work. And again, if you're joining in our Robert Murray McShane reading program, you read about this on Friday in Isaiah 49. In Isaiah 49, God spoke this way about his own son, Jesus Christ, that he was an arrow being shot out. And we are called to point our children to Christ and to teach them how Christ would want them to live like him. And we got to do this with a gospel view in mind. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. How I would wish that I could get every mom and dad and every family to read Deuteronomy 6 at least once a week. Not just the first part, with thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might, and, the, and, and all that. That's great. But I love when they get to the end of it, and Solomon, or Matt, Moses says to them, when your children get older and they ask you, why do you do this? Why do you go to church? And why do you have Bible verses on the wall? And why do you act the way you do? And why do you choose to sing the songs you sing? And why do you do all these? What are you going to say to your parents? Well, because, you know, the church we go to has a lot of rules. And we want to be accepted. And we want to make sure that we have a right to tell people how to live. So we try to keep all the rules. Yeah, don't count on your children being in the church. But if you tell them we do this because... God's amazing grace saved us. And he rescued me when I wasn't even looking. And even when my best attempts to make life make sense, secretly I didn't think it made sense. And then God came into my life and made everything make sense. If you do that, if you do that, things will be different. Parents, what is Solomon writing here in Psalm 127? Maybe John can tell us in 3 John verse 4 it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And maybe that's why this psalm, Psalm 127, is a psalm of ascent. It's meant to be a reminder to parents. And this is the reminder. Your task is to raise up a generation eager to serve God and not themselves. 
eager to pursue the glory and holiness of God by humbly accepting His grace and mercy and love. And listen, parents, you're going to struggle with this. You really will. I struggle with this. Our oldest boy came to us just a few months ago and said, well, this is the irony. We lived in Charlottetown for the last 15 years. Debbie's parents live here. We sent our son to St. John's, Newfoundland to go to school and be with his grandparents. He met a girl here from Regina and left and went to Saskatchewan. That was not the plan of his parents. We thought he would come to Newfoundland, and then when God called us here, we thought, excellent. Now the clan will be all together. We weren't here for four months, and Brandon said, I'm moving to Regina. That was not how I had planned his life. But God had a plan. Jim Elliott, that great martyr missionary for Jesus, his parents struggled with this. He wrote to his parents when they were putting pressure on him to stay in the United States instead of serving as a missionary to Ecuador. Here's what he wrote. And what are arrows for but to be shot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. And you can read about that in the book Shadow of the Almighty. He says, this isn't easy. In fact, it was shortly after he wrote this that he went to Ecuador and he was martyred for his faith. But I don't believe his parents had any regrets. It might not have been easy, but no regrets. You see, I have to be honest. I can remember when I was teaching all of my kids how to ride a bike. That was the, the one big dad uh, job that I had in our family was to teach all three of our children how to ride a bike. And we would go through the whole exercise of go, doing the bike with the training wheels and then the training wheels would come off and I'd run behind them with my hand on the seat as they meandered down the road and they didn't want me to get too far from them and all this. And they weren't ready to go solo yet. And if you'll all pray for me because our youngest is 14 going on 18 and she can't wait to get behind the wheel of a car and she is very much like her dad and she thinks the S of slow is fast and it keeps me up at night but I don't know why all of my kids are like this but every one of them as I taught them how to ride a bike they've all done the same thing as they got more and more used to things I was running as fast as I could and eventually they moved from not wanting me to let go to desperate for me to let go but I wasn't ready yet because I didn't want them to fall so I'm running as fast as I can run back behind them hanging on to that seat and they're just chugging away and chugging away and they want to go and I'm hanging on and hanging on and then they all figured they'd teach me a lesson so then they lock up the brakes and I go flying and I'm on a heap of blood, rash, and everything else. And I look up, and there's this grin. All three children have done it. Like, hey, Dad. Gotcha. <laughs> and I don't know why, but all I could do was at that moment smile, hug them, and limp home to Debbie and go, help me. You see, the truth is being a parent is very much like that in every part of life. You teach your child to ride a bike because you know you that when you hold on and you're trying to figure out how do I hold on and when do I let go? And if you don't let go, you're going to get very tired running alongside them or you may end up with some serious road rash. See, we're called to guide our children and then let them go. It's the idea, I think, of both giving them roots and wings. You know, John the Baptist said in John 3.30 that about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And I actually think that's even a role that we have as parents as our children get older, we need to let them increase as we decrease. There's a great poem called Kids Are Like Kites. 
by Irma Bombeck, and she says, you spend a lifetime trying to get them off the ground. You run with them until you're both breastless. They crash. They hit the rooftop. You patch and comfort and adjust and teach. You watch them lifted by the wind and assure them that someday they'll fly, fly and then finally they are airborne. They need more string and you keep letting it out. But with each twist of the ball of twine, there is a sadness that goes with the joy. The kite becomes more distant and you know it won't be long before that beautiful creature will snap that lifeline that binds you two together and will soar as it is meant to soar free and alone. And only then do you know that you did your job. You taught them to fly. Now notice the very last verse of our psalm. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. And for all of our dads and our moms and our parents here today, don't overlook your kids because one day they will look after you. Don't overlook your kids because one day, Lord willing, they'll look after you. See, verse uh, 5 here reminds us and helps us that children serve as protectors and providers for their parents as, their age, as they age. I have already started asking which of my children want the glorious privilege of having me live with them just so I can see the terror on their face. And I tell them how I'm not going to clean my room and I'm going to leave dirty dishes and I'm going to complain about what they cook for me. My youngest one asked me if I would also need diapers, but that's a whole other conversation. But we know that we need to not overlook our kids because our kids are going to one day take care of us. I know many of you here even today are caring for your parents right now, and you are honorable to do that. You are showing honor to your moms and dads. So let's bring this into the station. I love to watch do-it-yourself shows or building shows or things like that, largely because I can't do any of it. So I watch it and I live vicariously through whoever these guys are on the screens. And Dave Hol or Mike Holmes and Bob Vila and all these guys. And it's funny because, and, and one, one of the other guys that I really like to listen to a lot is a guy named Paul LaFrance. And I just like to say his name, Paul LaFrance. Um, but he builds these decks and all these things. And they all have said the same thing over and over again about building. And I really think it ap applies to parenting. They say these four things. It will take longer than you planned it will cost more than you figured. It'll be messier than you anticipated. It will require more patience than you expected. That is so true of parenting. It'll take you longer than you planned. It'll cost you more than you figured. It will be messier than you anticipated. And it will require more patience than you ever expected. The first place that we start with all this is faith at home. Is faith in our own lives. Each of us as parents and grandparents, as aunts and uncles that are here, must do whatever it takes to grow our own faith. And that is impossible without time in the Word of God. You know, if I may, let me say this in a very social media world. Let me challenge all of us here today to spend less time on Facebook and a lot more time with our face in the book, the Word of God. Now, for John and Chrissy and for Aaron and Ryan, let me ask you this. And these are questions for all of us here this morning. Number one, how committed are you to build your family God's way? How committed are you to build your family God's way? Or to ask it another way, how badly do you want things to get better as parents? 
That's the place to start because things won't get better until you do whatever it takes to make it happen. See, Psalm 127 is not advocating that builders stop building or watchers stop watching and just let God do it all. Let go and let God is actually not a good motto, okay? We are to build and we are to watch and we are to work in submission to God. God blesses us as we work and trust. Are you ready to do your part as moms and dads? Number two, are you willing to confess the times that you do operate in your own strength? James McDonald points out that there are some clues we can use to let us know when we're not building our families God's way. Here they are. When we're angry, anxious, impatient, and empty. Oh, snap. That defines me about 23 and a half hours of the day. Right? If you're angry, anxious, impatient, or empty. In other words, he says this, are you more hollow than holy? Are you more hollow than holy? I want to challenge you as parents here today. See being parents as totally of God and not of yourselves. See being parents as a stewardship, not ownership. Recognize the difference between success and failure versus faithfulness. Accept and obey that parenting as Christians is a community calling. Only God can save your children. You are called to be witnesses. And now every dad that is here, this is great stuff for you to consider, every one of you. For every man and every woman, this is great stuff for you to consider. This is awesome stuff. After all, let's be honest, how many times do every one of us try to do our work in our own strength? I've said this over and over again this morning. And finally, number three, will you embrace confession like we did in our service and trust in God's word for guidance in raising your children? Listen to me. Only God can do what needs to be done in the lives of Elijah and in the lives of Maeve and Liam and Caleb and every other child that's represented in this church. I love this story. One day Henry Ford was driving in the Michigan countryside when he came upon a man who had a Model T that had broken down on the side of the road. The guy was bent over the hood and trying to figure out what was wrong. And Mr. T stopped and, Mr. sorry, Mr. Ford stopped and asked if he could take a look. It wasn't Mr. T. <laughs> what are you talking about, you fool? Um, so Mr. Ford stopped by and, and said uh, if he could help. And he fixed the car and had it running in no time. And the owner said, I'm amazed at your ability. You fixed my car so easily. To which Mr. Ford replied, I ought to be able to fix it because I'm the one who designed it. How much should we as parents turn our children over to God, even if we think they need fixing? Who better to fix them than the one who created them? Our greatest thing we can do as parents is point our children to Jesus Christ. Because remember, because if God doesn't bless, it will be a mess. And so for Ryan and Aaron and for John and Chrissy and for all the grandparents and the relatives and the family that are here today and really for this entire church of Calvary Baptist, will we be dedicated not only as families but as a church family to the Lord? We today will witness a solemn covenant and public declaration of these two sets of families to obey God's word. How? In the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, not themselves. I don't want you to overestimate your parenting skills. I don't want you to overwork at your parenting skills, but I don't want you to overlook your children. And the grandparents that are here today, remember that you need to be just way more than just the givers of money and candy. Remember 2 Timothy when Paul is writing to him and he says, I know the faith that is in you that was given to you by your mother and your grandmother. 
Grandparents, make sure that you are passing on a real faith to your grandchildren. And so for John and Ryan and for all the dads, for Chrissy and Aaron and all the moms here today, and finally for this church, this is our role to honor and worship and glorify God. And in so doing, here's what I promise you. We will find eternal pleasure. We will have eternal purpose. We will have an eternal hope. And we have a calling both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to challenge both myself and Debbie as my wife. As we are reminded as parents for our own kids that you have blessed us with. I pray for John and Chrissy. I pray for Caleb, and I pray for Elijah. I pray for Aaron and Ryan and for Liam and Maeve. Lord, I pray for every man and woman here that we would know it is in vain to get on the hamster wheel of works and think we're going to run our way up to heaven. Oh, Father God, may everyone here see even today that the only way to a right relationship with Christ is to trust in Jesus, to believe in Him, not to redefine you, not to come to you with a contract, not to hope we'll make it, but Father, to truly admit what we are and who we are and that we need help and to find the joy of receiving it every time. So Father, be with us now, I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.